welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have a killer couple days of episodes with you guys featuring this wonderful new two disc CD set that has come out called Celebrating the Life of John Lawton. Uh, today I'm going to be covering CD number one. Tomorrow I will cover CD number two. It is already available. You can go to Cherry Red Records. You can also go to Amazon. Uh, the links are in the show notes for you guys because, uh, you know, I always do that. Why wouldn't I make it easy for you to purchase the music that I'm really excited to review? Now, I haven't listened to this yet, but obviously uh, John sang for Uriah Heep and he also sang a song on the Butterfly Ball and the Grasshopper's Feast, the supreme masterpiece by Roger Glover. And so I am familiar with some of the songs that are going to be on here, but not all of them. Uh, I'm going to get into what's especially interesting about this set in just a moment. But first, I realized that I actually haven't given an update on what's going on with me in like a ridiculously long time. And, you know, some of these podcasts I've recorded a while ago, so I don't remember, of course, everything or actually much of what I say. But uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to just say really quick, because I don't know if I've talked about my two newest books. Um, I'm up to nine now on Amazon. I did not expect to uh, write any more books after I finished The Universal Court. And then I got uh, an idea. And within a week, I finished two more books. Uh, these are uh, coffee table style books, very much like my What Happened in Vegas series. And the first one is called Hashtag Inspiration, Hashtag Cloud Porn for Creatives and Non-Creatives. It is positive phrases and suggestions for how to uh, just, you know, be happy. Some are centralized uh, related to just getting things done, whether it relates to a project you're working on or even just, you know, cleaning the house, uh, running errands, just getting things checked off of your list. And of course, they are coupled by uh, full color cloud pictures that I took. Uh, I think all of these were here in Las Vegas and Henderson, too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's the first book. The other book is kind of the opposite of that. It is called hashtag sarcasm, hashtag cloud porn for everyone. And um, of course, you know, I had to go a different route with the pictures. These are still clouds, uh, hence the cloud porn, but they're they're dark. They're uh, menacing cloud pics. These are harder to get here in Las Vegas because we don't have a lot of stormy days here. Uh, so some of them are are just, you know, uh, pictures that, that are just a, a little darker, a little more ominous. And um, everything is sarcastic in this book. Um, I have grown um, what I like to think of as an interesting sense of humor. And it's a combination of, of growing up with shows like MASH and working with 80 musicians in a, uh, in a basically rock and roll themed chain of music stores for a few years and being in bands and being, you know, around bands running sound. You, you get a, um, a bit of a sarcastic quick wit when it comes to being in those situations. And um, if you guys have heard me on some of the uh, guest spots I do on other podcasts, uh, such as the uh, live streams for And the Podcast Will Rock, which is Van Halen show, I know very little about Van Halen, but they keep inviting me back. And I appreciate that. Um, but I, I try to, um, I, I, well, I don't even try. I just kind of naturally fall back into that, um, you know, somewhat serious, somewhat sarcastic um, pros that I've gotten from uh, a lot of my experiences in uh, in the business. So those are the two newest books. Uh, the most recent album I have out is The Shattered Room. I am gearing up, uh, you know, by this, by the time this comes out, I actually might be started working on it. 
Um, but uh, gearing up for another album, um, I've gone a bit of a different direction. I'm actually having Kelly do the picture first, and then I will write the entire album based on the picture as opposed to me sending her the demos of the song, telling her kind of the concept of the album or sending her some ridiculously crude drawing and her turning it into gold. Uh, we're, we're flipping the script. So it should be uh, an interesting challenge. I'm, I'm looking very forward to that. And in the meantime, uh, I've got a couple of soundtracks that I've worked on uh, for some short films that have come out. Those are on my uh, Bandcamp page exclusively, uh, although uh, one or two of the songs may end up as a more official like Amazon release. Um, but, uh, you know, they're just different soundtracks I worked on. They can be licensed for different projects. If you like some of the music, you think it'll work for something that you've written or, uh, are writing, uh, get in contact with me, or you can just enjoy them as, uh, soundtracks. All the, uh, unused music from those soundtracks are also included. And, uh, you know what? They're, they're a dollar. That's it. They're a dollar because, you know, with soundtrack music, a lot of them aren't going to be full songs. A lot of them are going to be fragments. Um, they're, they're kind of disjointed, um, because you're, you're looking at really completely different scenes in a movie. So they're not feature links, which are going to have more thematic, um, repeats and, and that. So, uh, yeah, they're a little different. So they're a dollar. Uh, if you're interested in any of those, you can go to my website. It has a link to my Bandcamp page, or you can just search for me on Bandcamp, Scott K. Haskin. And, uh, that is all of that. So that's, what's going on with me as of the time I'm recording this which is uh, about three weeks ahead of this uh, actually coming out. This is a review that I'm doing uh, in a partnership with uh, Cherry Red Records. So thank you guys for uh, hooking me up with this review. I'm really excited to get into it because whether you are familiar with John Lawton from, uh, as I said earlier, The Butterfly Ball and The Grasshopper's Feast uh, or the uh, albums that he did with Uriah Heep, uh, Firefly, Innocent Victim and Fallen Angel, all which I covered on uh, Uriah Heep, The Magician's Podcast, and some bonus tracks that were um, put on an album I still need to get some clarification on. Um, if you guys listened to uh, the last time I had Steve Weltman on the show, he said that the uh, the hidden mystery Uriah Heep album doesn't actually exist. So I'm interested uh, to talk to him more about that. And of course, you know, Steve's just such a great guy. I love talking to him. Uh, so uh, working on getting him back on the show. But, uh, you know, and all the other projects that John has been involved in, uh, he has such a unique voice, such a passionate singer. Um, uh, one, of the, one of those guys that just no matter what, he makes you feel something. And that is the magic of a singer, of a great singer. Um, but so this uh, first CD has 17 songs on it. Now, I only received the music and uh, the link to the website. I didn't get any other notation. So uh, this is going to be a little bit different. Now, this set con contains a lot of rarities, unreleased um, bits and pieces. So uh, I had to go back and try and figure out what these pieces were related to as best I could. I will have those in the show notes. Um, they may be demo versions, whereas the uh, the link that I might have might be to a project and this might be a demo version for that project or an unreleased track. I wasn't able to actually find um, where all of them came from. So I'm just going to get into the music as I usually do and not get into the depth and the history of the songs other than the ones that I know. And um, we're just going to go from there and enjoy the uh, the wonderful music of John Lawton. Now, I was thinking about this last night, and and this is where I realized that I'm getting old and starting to lose all those fragments of things that I used to have such an amazing memory for. Um, I used to know everybody in every class I went to school with from grade school on. 
what period I had them in, what year it was, what, uh, you know, who the teacher was, where they sat. Um, even when we moved around, like I had all that stuff in my head. I, I knew uh, the record release numbers for, you know, Warner Brothers and all that for all the different albums I had. I knew how long the songs were. Uh, and then, I don't know, I think it started to fall apart when CDs came out. And instead of it being, this is my favorite track, here's the name, here's where it is on the album. Uh, it's on side two, song three. And here's the time of the song. Here's who wrote it and all that stuff just became song nine. And I wasn't even learning the titles of the songs. And I don't know, I think things started to slip away a little bit there. But uh, so anyway, I was trying to figure out when the first time I actually heard John Lawton sing was. Was it with Uriah Heep or was it the Butterfly Ball? Because the album version that uh, we had of the Butterfly Ball did not have Little Chalk Blue on it. And I can't remember if it was included on the VHS version that we had of the concert or not. Um, it is on the deluxe version that I purchased much later in life and on the DVD, but I cannot remember if it was on the VHS or not. I didn't remember the song when I got the uh, deluxe album. So uh, I'm going to say it wasn't on there. I, I really don't think it was. Um, it, it's really bugging me. But in any case, I don't know where I first heard John. It might have been on the Best of Your Eye Heap album that I had uh, on a song like Feelings or it could have been the Butterfly Ball. I'm really not sure. I think it was Uriah Heep, um, but it's certainly making me feel old not being able to remember all these little details that I was so good at. Um, maybe because I don't have a trigger memory. That could be why uh, for this uh, particular incident. But anyway, let's get into the music. I'm really excited to get into this with you guys. Uh, the first song on the CD is a song called uh, Corner Street Girl. From what I was able to find, uh, this is with a band called Asterix, A-S-T-E-R-I-X, and it sounds a little something like this. Okay, I have to laugh. Uh, it, the first thing that struck me was that does not sound like John Lawton. Uh, he sounds uh, really different, like a, like his voice wasn't refined to what I know it as. And then, uh, of course, uh, he starts singing and I realize there's two singers in the band and he wasn't the first one to sing. Right after I'm talking about how I'm, you know, how I've lost some of my memory and all that. Over, it, that was just fantastic. Um so, you know, uh, Corner Street Girl, this this isn't a uh, subject that I could relate to walking the Vegas Strip once a week or so uh, at all, is it? <laughs> no. Uh, it's, it's interesting that um, it, it sounds very much like a James Gang song. Um, very 60s uh, recording sounding. Um, with the the dry drums that that kick that that has a punch, but not uh, it's like got the tone of a punch, but not the impact of a punch. 
Um, I love the sound of it, though. The bass is really heavy in the mix. The guitars are nice and crisp. Um, you can definitely hear everything. The piano, though, is a little bit uh, dirty sounding and a little bit in the background, which I kind of like, actually, for this. Uh, but there's a really cool guitar solo in it. Some really nice parts where you've got each singer getting a chance to shine and then getting to, to sing together. They sound great together. Um, yeah, this is a really cool song. I really like it. I'd, I'd like to hear more from this era. Uh, don't know uh, if this uh, will present us anything more from that, but... Uh, in any case, we'll find out as we go through the album. Uh, but yeah, really cool song to get us started. Uh, our second song, of course, is one that I am no stranger to. This is from Roger Glover's amazing soundtrack for the Butterfly Ball and the Grasshopper's Feast. Not the Judy Dench version. This is the Roger Glover version and a song that was omitted from the original one, um, but fortunately saved for uh, enjoyable listening later on. Little Chalk Blue. always love this song from the very first time I remember hearing it. Um, I just absolutely fell in love with the song. It's so uh, beautifully orchestrated. I love the strings in there. Uh, John's emotion is just fantastic. Um, I, my theory as to why this was left off the, uh, the soundtrack is it's kind of towards the end. And we've already got, uh, you know, we've already had Sitting in a Dream uh, before you get to this. And then after that, we've got um, Homeward. And I kind of think that it might have just been, you know, too many somberish sounding songs. Um, and, and that would be the one that they decided to cut if they needed to cut for time or maybe just for the, you know, cohesiveness of the overall soundtrack. But uh, in any case, I'm very glad to have it uh, as a bonus track. I'm really glad they included it here in this box set or, or this two CD set so that everybody can uh, enjoy it that isn't familiar with it. But Butterfly Ball is one of my absolute all-time favorite projects. I would highly encourage everyone to go listen to that. Um, I mean, you've got singers like Ronnie James Dio and Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale and amazing musicians, uh, brilliant writing. It's just an incredible, incredible thing. Uh, and a great chance to hear Tony Ashton sounding like he's performing drunk. So uh, there's a rarity for you. So uh, that brings us to track number three. This is called Out Here. And from what I can tell, this came from the John Lawton Band. Out here on the edge of things In the nothingness, the emptiness, the absolute 
This is a really wild song. You've got some very heavy synths uh, that come in. You've got some slap bass. You've got a lot of uh, sections where there's chorus going on with the vocals. Uh, But it's got a great groove. What's weird is it talks about like people bringing him down. And yet the music is like happy and bouncy. Uh, That's one of the things I love about music, though, is you can have completely contrasting uh, messages and, uh, and somehow it just magically works. Uh, definitely a cool song though. The the mix is a little uh, weird because some of the synths, especially towards the end, like they really come in in strong high volume, and it it, it kind of drowns a lot of other stuff out. But yet you can still hear it uh, underneath. It's it's really weird. Um, definitely back to that like uh, you know late sixties sound, uh, which I actually like very much. Um, I don't recall hearing synths that were put in that strongly. But uh, the slap bass is a really nice touch, and it's not all the way through the song, which is good. Uh, otherwise, it just gets stale, you know, kind of just feels like um, that's all you decided to do. It's nice when you have a little bit of slap bass um, in in a, just a song that has a good groove in it. So uh, really cool. Yeah, I like that one. So that was Out Here by the John Lawton Band. Our next song up is called Is There Anybody There? a really nice song it starts out so nice and gentle again that very you know 60s uh sound uh that i love and then uh it actually does pick up quite a bit and uh picks up uh, tempo comes in a lot stronger uh really nice song and again you know fast fantastic performance from john lawton as you would fully expect um there isn't a song i've heard i don't think there was a single one with uriah heap that that comes to mind anyway um where i didn't feel whatever he was trying to say. You know, he just has a way of drawing you in. Um, what's interesting here is one of the things that did frustrate me a little bit was that with all of the Heap songs, it seemed like nearly every song, he had to make some sort of sound, you know, as as the song is coming in, as maybe the, there's a guitar intro or a keyboard or whatever, and he's got to make some kind of sound just to let you know he's there that didn't really seem necessary. And that kind of got a bit old for me. Um, that was the only complaint I've ever had about him. So it's really nice to actually hear songs like this where he wasn't doing that. 
Um, interestingly, you know, I'm on Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, another podcast uh, where I'm a co-host with my friends Corey Morissette and John Mariano. And that's been my number one complaint uh, about uh, Steven Tyler is the same thing. Like, he'll just make sounds over a guitar solo, over, you know, a bass or whatever. It doesn't matter. He's just got to let you know that he hasn't been fired from the band while, you know, since the last chorus. Um really kind of annoying to me, but uh, this is really good stuff. Um, he's singing very much for the song. Um, you can feel his passion in it, but yeah, this this one, especially when the tempo picks up, really, really cool track. So let's get to our next song. Uh, this one I could only find is listed by John Lawton, uh, not the John Lawton band, but just John Lawton. Uh, maybe it's all part of the same thing. I don't know. Uh, is called Eloise. This song is really interesting. Um, the last couple songs have kind of started as if they're in the middle of something. So I don't know if maybe uh, on the original albums, they were uh, part of like, you know, a two part song where one comes in uh, right into the other because they seem to be starting very abruptly. Uh, but in any case, this is a really cool song. It has a little bit of a disco feel to it, but it has the sound of, you know, like an early 80s electronic drum heavy synthesizer kind of song, uh, which is really interesting to hear John singing with, because I don't really think I've ever heard anything quite like that. Um, it kind of reminded me like drum fill wise a little bit of Saving the Day from the Ghostbusters soundtrack. But then, uh, you know, musically, it was a little bit like Never Ending Story. Uh, but it had such a really good feel to it. And of course, you know, John singing in top form. There is a synth in there that follows his voice during parts of the song that, um, you know, again, they kind of bury it a little bit. But, you know, mixing wasn't the same back then as it is now. Um, things were done a little bit differently and um, not always the, you know, when you, when you think of music today, of course, everything's pristine. They could take a, a slight frequency in an EQ and drop it for a millimeter of a second. I mean, it's just insane how perfect we can make things sound. So I like things that sound a little bit raw. Um, but yeah, that one synth comes in a little bit heavy. It follows his vocals very well, which just goes to show how great his pitch is. But um, yeah, really cool song. I, I definitely dig that. Uh, one I will listen to many times more, I'm sure. Well, so far, everything on this album, I could say that about. Uh, our next song, I don't have any other information on, except that it is called Me and My Harley. I'm assuming he means the motorcycle. Tower 
Well, there you go. It was about a Harley motorcycle. Um, yeah, this is a cool song. It's got a, a nice tempo to it. Uh, it's one of those songs that, boy, you could just, you know, put that in your car, hit the highway and go and just have a, a great time out on the open road. Um, really strong vocals, much better mix on this one. Uh, vocals are very, very strong and predominant. Um, the one thing I thought was kind of odd was the saxophone solo. It really seemed a little bit out of place uh, for an instrument on the song, but it worked. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. Um, just unexpected. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think Harley and saxophone. I would think Harley heavy distorted guitar would be uh, where I would go or maybe acoustic. Um, but there's uh, there's a nice balance of uh, like rock song and uh, 80s pad synth in there to uh, to thicken it up and give it a little balance. Um, really cool tune, though. I like it. Um, very, very strong vocal, which uh, is is I mean, this is the kind of song that's really in John Lawton's wheelhouse. Absolutely right in his wheelhouse. So uh, another one I would highly recommend listening to the full version of the song and Again, you can get that uh, at Cherry Red Records in Amazon. The links are in the show notes. It is live, available right now as of yesterday. Uh, of course, I had a couple other review shows I was doing over the last couple of days to match another release before I started on this one. So uh, that's why this one's coming in uh, the day after release instead of the day of. Uh, but no worries. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it may sell out in one day, but if it does, I'm sure that they will manufacture more. Uh, but I have heard that manufacturing is still like nine months to 12 months behind right now for albums. Uh, this being CD, though, I'm sure the production times are much faster. So uh, if they do sell out right away, get your pre-order in for the next run. Uh, there's a lot of love for John Lawton out there. When when he passed away, um, it was the, the outpour of affection and sadness was just uh, very, very overwhelming. Um, especially, you know, from from the Uriah Heap web pages and um, all the, the Heap fan pages and such. Um, very, very sad day. But uh, he left us with quite a legacy to enjoy as we are doing here today on this show. Our next song, um, boy, when I saw this title, I got really excited because I thought, wouldn't this be so cool if this was a cover song? of one of my, uh, you know, well-loved rainbow songs, but it is not. Uh, I, I don't want to get your hopes up any more than that. Um, sadly, it's not, but I'd love to have heard John Lawton singing Stargazer by Rainbow. Instead, we're getting Stargazer by Rebel. Great song. Um, talk about another just, you know, open highway, get in the car and take off kind of song. Uh, crank up the stereo. This would be perfect for that. Kind of reminded me a little bit uh, in the beginning and, and through that main riff of the Metallica's The Four Horsemen, but this came out a year before. 
Um, definitely had a very heavy vibe, uh, blistering guitar solo in it, uh, killer vocal. There's a, a nice surprising uh, part that comes in after the uh, guitar solo. There's just an, an interesting accent that comes in from a synthesizer. It's a little bit offbeat, unexpected, um, but it sounds really cool. It really adds a nice enhancement to the song. Um, great vocal, of course, you know, uh, just singing at his peak, like on everything he's ever done. I, I, I can't say yeah, he didn't really perform that well on this song or that song. I mean, every time this guy just gave a thousand percent and I absolutely love that. Uh, I know that's physically impossible, but he did it anyway. So our next song uh, is also from Rebel. This is called Broadway Nights. I'll tell you, if you like bands like Michael Schenker or Uriah Heep, specifically the song Too Scared to Run, I would say uh, this is a great song for you. Very upbeat, great guitar. I just I just love that da 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 da, you know, that that rhythm that it plays um, really just pushes the song forward. It really feels like the song is over very quickly, yet it's uh, it's a little over three minutes. But boy, it goes fast. Um, it's a great tempo, um, great passionate vocal, some really nice background. But uh, killer rock and roll tune. I, I highly encourage a full listen to this one as well. Um, well, we're, you know, eight songs out of eight. I think I've said that. But uh, let's move on to song number nine. This is called Heart of the Night. And this is by Czar. Uh, Z-A-R. Czar. <laughs> Listen to how huge those drums sound. That was a production tool during the 80s, um, very popular for a time. Um, I I don't know. I, I always felt that it was 
not representative of a band because when when you would hear live tracks from a band, they did not sound as huge as they would in the studio. And a band typically, you know, would sound a little bit bigger in a you know like a concert hall venue. So I always felt like that type of uh, production was a little bit strange. Um, it's not unpleasant by any means, but it feels just kind of overproduced to me. Um, however, the performance in the song is fantastic. Uh, you know, it's one of those blistering guitar solos that was really popular. Uh, let's play notes as fast as I can do a little bit of a, a harmony during the solo. Cause there's a little bit of that too. Um, you know, you get the variety, but it's uh, it, it's really a very typical uh, solo for that style of that time. Um, the vocals are, you know, again, strong as ever. But uh, what what this song reminds me of is there was a movie called Shock'em Dead. And uh, I don't remember the actor's name that played in the movie, but his love interest was Tracy Lords. And uh, it was about this kid who was like a nerd and got treated really badly made a deal with Satan to be the greatest rock god of, of you know, history. And um, I can't remember who it was that actually played on the recording, if it was Steve I or not. I want to say it was Steve I, but I'm not sure if that that's right. Uh, but in any case, it was it was such a, a crazy, you know, B horror movie because to, to keep his uh, agreement with Satan to get this wonderful power of being an amazing guitarist, uh, he had to kill people. Uh, he had to eat them, their blood, so, or drink their blood, because so, unless it coagulates, you would drink it. Um, and uh, such a, a bizarre, bizarre movie. Uh, anyway, it's it's well worth a watch if you want like an hour and a half of just a smile across your face, because it's just so silly, but so serious at the same time. Shock 'em Dead is what it's called. Um, I don't know if it ever made it to DVD or not, to be honest. Uh, I would imagine it did. I think most of Tracy Lord's, um, you know, more um, non-porn roles probably did, um, just just based on her fame alone. Um, and she was the the lead actress in it, so uh, very likely that it did. But a fun movie. I I originally saw it, I believe, on USA Up All Night with Rhonda Shear. Or maybe it was after Gilbert Godfrey took it over. I don't remember. Uh, but either way, that's where I think I saw it first. Um, and then I probably rented it on VHS or something again after that. Because uh, we couldn't tape things uh, as easily back then. Because uh, that would have been in the early days before, uh, you know, like videotapes weren't $25 a piece. And before we had the SLP uh, eight-hour setting for your, um, or was it, why do I think SLP was eight hours and not six? It was like two, four, six, and eight. I don't remember. It was something like that. But anyway, uh, it was too expensive back then to just go taping movies anytime you wanted to. Um, but yeah, go check it out. It, it just kind of reminded me of the style of the song, that big, heavy drum sound, that same sort of guitar solo style, uh, that really fast picking, then the harmony. Um, cool solo, though. Uh, don't get me wrong. And again, you know, very, very solid song. Um, another one that just kind of gets you grooving. You know, it makes you want to, either get in the car and drive or just tap your foot or, you know, pretend you're a drummer, an air drum, whatever it is. Uh, it just makes you want to do something. It gives like a physical uh, need for a response. Uh, so yeah, definitely a, a cool song. That was Heart of the Night by Czar. Our next song up is called Dirty, Dirty Tricks. And I have this, uh, what I was able to find was this is by the Lenny McDowell Project. And for those of you who uh, want to Google that, it's M-A-C space D-O-W-E-L-L, not McDowell as in Roddy McDowell. Oh, 
this song didn't strike me as much as the rest have. Um, this has a much more Motley Crue feel to me. And I've never been a, a huge um, listener of their music, but it, it has that feel. Um, interestingly, there is a, a organ in the background. Like if I were driving around listening to this in the car, I don't think I'd even hear it. Uh, fortunately, I'm using studio headphones, so I'm able to pick out a little more detail. Um, there's also what I thought might have been a harmonica, but it sounds like a synchif, uh synthesizer patch. And um, and then that patch like comes in louder later, trading off with the guitar in the solo section. Kind of weird, um, but it definitely has a great tempo. Um, it's a good driving song. Um, a little repetitive, but uh, that would be typical of this style of music, especially in this era. Um, but other than that, I mean, pretty decent song. And if this is your cup of tea, listen to the full version when you make your purchase of this wonderful celebration of life of John Lawton. Um, well worth well worth grabbing if you're a fan of any of this music, to be quite honest. Um, our next song, I'm I'm very curious to hear because I don't know where to go with this. It is called Colgate Gel. Colgate Gale, Schutzstum's genial, ganz optimal, ganz optimal. Colgate Gale, das ist der Hit, da krieg ich meinen Spaß gleich mit. Colgate Gale, Schutzsehne voll. Ganz schwuppdiwupp, das find ich toll. Colgate, Schutz, und hält gesund. Colgate, wir forschen, damit ihr lachen, ein Leben lang hält. What you're having a hard time seeing as you're listening to this audio-only podcast is the way that my jaw is just kind of hanging there. This was completely unexpected. Obviously, this is getting into that, uh, you know, rarities and... Uh, uh, type stuff, but it, this is obviously advertisements for Colgate in German, um, probably for German television or radio. Um, I didn't know that John Lawton spoke German or sang German. Uh, maybe he only learned these songs, but it seems very fluent to me and quite a variety too, uh, you know, from one clip to another. Very interesting. It's, uh, you know, too short for me to even clip it. So I just went ahead and played the whole thing for you. It's only 50 seconds long. Um, but definitely very interesting. It's, um, this is the kind of stuff that when I saw there were like rarities and things, I thought, well, I'm, I'm curious as to what we're going to hear. When I saw this title, I thought this might be one of them, but I didn't have any way of making any kind of preconceived notion or guess as to what we were about to hear. Uh, advertising didn't even uh, pop into my head, but that's what that sounds like to me. Uh, very cool. And you know what? Nothing wrong with uh, getting a bit of the corporate pie because uh, a lot of musicians write jingles and different things. The difference is that a lot of people don't know who's writing those, whereas a singer is a little more identifiable. I don't I would not have known this was John Lawton. If you just played this for me, I wouldn't have known it was him. But, um, you know, a singer is definitely more identifiable than uh, maybe whoever wrote it. And, uh, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with getting that corporate work as well. So uh, we're going to move on to our next song. <laughs> now that we've finished Colgate Gel, this one is called Set the World on Fire. And it's a little confusing, but it, from what I'm able to surmise, this is on a soundtrack from Excalibur 
that is a reworking of some classical pieces. This is from Symphony Number no. 9, Opus 95 by Volker Barber. Um, there is a, what you're going to hear is really more the uh, symphonic electronic version of it. There are uh, guitars and drums and vocals and everything later on in the song. But uh, this is something a little bit different and, and interesting. And I'm really glad they included it on the album. It definitely has the feeling of a, you know, sort of a electronic cinematic reworking. Uh, sounds really good, though. The production on it is absolutely amazing. I'm not familiar with this particular composer, so I don't know this piece. I don't believe I've ever seen um, any version of Excalibur, though I have been to the Excalibur Hotel many, many times, usually at least uh, twice a week as I walk through there uh, to and from on my walk down the Vegas Strip, but not the same thing at all. Um, very cool piece though. Um, when the vocals come in, they're very, very powerful. It's, um, a little bit talking and a little bit vocal. There's, um, some shredding guitar on it. Um, a really cool piece of music. It's a, a nice blend that encompasses a lot of styles and really takes you on a journey. Very, very well worth listening to. Um, our next song is, uh, another one that's, uh, that I'm finding from the fast forward music project, uh, as was the last one, uh, set the world on fire. I believe that's where it came from. This is called back to the highlands. So, yeah, it looks like this is from the same uh, Excalibur project by the Fast Forward Music Project. Uh, you heard a little bit of uh, Wagner's Ride of the Volcry in there at the beginning. Uh, but this part here uh, where I faded it out, like I really love this groove, a nice uh, marching snare beat, kind of a call to, to war. Um, but that bass line has just got such a killer groove to it. 
Um, really stunning vocal. It goes back and forth from, you know, like the band to the orchestra. And, uh, you know, it's it's so interesting to hear John sing to both because I'm not used to hearing him sing with an orchestra. But uh, it's a really cool track. I, I would be interested to hear this entire soundtrack, actually, because I'm I'm really digging what I'm hearing. The production is phenomenal. Um, just, you know, how how well balanced the band and the orchestra are, how rich and, and, and uh, just full everything sounds. Really, really cool. So I'm going to have to dig into this one one of these days. Um, that is, again, the Fast Forward Music Project. That brings us to our next song, which came from an album I didn't know existed until I started working on this. Now, this is another tie-in to the Butterfly Ball and the Grasshopper's Feast because it was a version of it that came out with some songs from Eddie Harden's Wizards Convention. And this is coming from, it looks like there was an official release, but also a bootleg release. Uh, This song is called Someone Sings, and it's from Eddie Harden's Wizards Convention 2. another song that really has a like a six late 60s early 70s uh pop feel to it but with more modern production i mean it sounds very clean obviously um you're using more modern synthesizers but the way you've got the female backing vocals the gentleness with which he sings just kind of really takes me back to like the carpenters that kind of stuff um really nice to hear him doing stuff like this instead of putting um that pressure on his voice where where we're normally hearing him uh, just to hear him just sing so gently and smoothly it's a real treat this is a great song um did a little more digging on the wizards convention too it looks like that came out in 1997 so well after the original wizards convention um which would have had to have been Geez, that had to have been in the uh, 70s if it would have come out with the but- uh, with the butterfly ball. Uh, I'm seeing 76 uh, was when that first came out. So yeah, so quite a distance between the two um, Wizard Convention albums from Eddie Harden. But really cool uh, to hear John sing like this. That is such a treat. Um, I don't know if our next song is going to be a cover or not. I've been fooled by that before on this album. So uh, we're just going to dig into the music and we're going to find out together. This is called Come Together. Come Together.
know, it, in some ways it feels almost like a gospel song. Maybe it's because of the backing choir and the positive message of it. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but it has that feel. But it also has the feel of a song that would have been in a, in a movie uh, in the 80s or, uh, you know, just like a you know bunch of musicians getting together like a, a We Are the World kind of thing. I could see them doing that with this song. But in any case, it's a really cool song, very uplifting, uh, very heartwarming, uh, great production on it. I, I really appreciate what they've done with with some of these songs. You know, the the early 60s sounding ones, you're going to expect the production is going to be a little bit raw sounding, but it's still, you know, clean. We can hear everything. And then uh, as they're getting into, you know, like where we're at now in his career, um, just really strong, uh, vibrant mixes, very nicely mastered, too, I have to say. Um, this... this uh, CD set is shaping up to be something really special. Um, our next song is called, oh, and uh, by the way, I was thinking it might be Come Together by the Beatles. It's kind of difficult when you have a, a song that's incredibly globally famous, and then you do a song of the same name. Maybe you do that on purpose so that it'll, people will wonder if it's a cover and they'll check it out and you'll get more plays. Um, very possibly. A lot of bands used to do covers. I don't know if they still do that as much on albums or not, but uh, a lot of band used to do covers on their albums so that they would get uh, not noticed, you know, um, kind of a marketing without having to pay for the marketing, which is pretty sweet. Uh, but in this case, it has nothing to do with the Beatles at all, but a very good song on its own, for sure. Um, our next two tracks, uh, our last two tracks on this CD are both Uriah Heap tracks. This one is from the album Firefly. There were two versions of it on the deluxe edition that I covered. I'll have a link in the show notes um, to the website page. And you can, uh, if you really like the song or want to check out more, you can go back and listen to the Uriah Heat versions uh, that I did on that show. And this is called Wise Man. We're going to do a song. Um, it's the very first song I ever sang with Uriah Heap. Way, way back. The only song we ever did Top of the Pops with. We've never done it since. <laughs> I sat before the wise man in the autumn of my youth, and I told him all the things I had to know. He said, You need. I don't know who the performance was with. Uh, clearly, uh, this was after his time in Uriah Heep. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, there's, a, there's a very good chance that when you guys get the uh, booklet with the liner notes and all that, it'll have that in there. Uh, in any case, that was a very beautiful rendition of that song. Um, you can see why they did that on Top of the Pops, why they never did it again. I have no idea because that's, you know, it seems like it's a song that you would release as a single and promote at your concerts and things like that. Um, but it's uh, it wasn't done. So there you go. Uh, our next song, I'm not sure about. This is our, our last song on today's episode. We'll hit CD number two tomorrow. This one is listed as I Am Alive. There was a song off of Uriah Heep's album um, Fallen Angel called I'm Alive. So I don't know yet if this is the same song. I've not listened to it. We're going to experience it together and we'll figure it out. How do you like that? Here we go. Here's 
I'm alive. Or I am alive. We'll see. Is this a song from Fallen Angel? Mr. Hensley on guitar. Ooh, yes. Okay, so this is another live performance. Not sure if it's from the same concert or even the same band. Uh, obviously, Ken Hensley was on stage, so uh, maybe this was that uh, Hensley Lawton project that they were working on. Um, not quite sure, uh, but it could it could have been one of the Uriah Heap reunion uh, type shows. But uh, in any case, really good stuff. Great mix for a, a live track. A really powerful sound to it. Uh, excellent guitar playing by Ken, of course. Um, great vocal, but it's such a great Uriah Heep song. Uh, in the show notes, I've also got my link to uh, the review I did for that one on Uriah Heep the Magician's podcast. In case you want to check out that one, great song, absolutely fantastic, and a great way to end the album. Uh, to be honest, I'm looking forward to getting into CD number two with you guys tomorrow. Um, great stuff, and this has really been a lot of fun to get into to experience some uh, different sides of John's career that I hadn't experienced before. Um, especially that 80s stuff. I, I definitely have an affection for the 80s style of writing and performance. Not as much the production, but uh, I, I love that era of music. And I think uh, for the most part, I just kind of take a pass on the production and go, well, you know, uh, it was a lot of experimenting going on. Engineers were having to learn how to mix, you know, multiple synths, electronic drums, uh, sometimes pre-programmed bass. Um, you know, if you've ever been to any of these, uh, eighties reunion concerts, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but, um, for those of you guys that are listening today, we, they do, um, these little mini tours of, of, uh, different groups of eighties bands go around and, uh, do shows. And then at the end of the season, which is usually, uh, at the end of the summer, they come and play here at one big show in Vegas. Not everybody makes it, but the majority of the bands do. And it's a whole day long festival. And um, the weirdest thing about it is you'll have like a full band on stage, you know, like a full, you know, five or six piece band. The next band will be a singer and a keyboard player, but it'll sound like a full band because everything's programmed. And the keyboard player is basically just standing there or maybe he's playing one of the keyboard lines, but it's generating all the drums, the bass, you know, all of that stuff. And visually, it's incredibly anticlimactic. And, and I don't know what concerts were like in the 80s because... I was too young to go to shows at the time. My, my first concert was 87, uh, seeing Girls School open for Deep Purple at Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. But I don't know, like visually, it couldn't have been that appealing to see those kind of bands uh, perform shows. I mean, if they were doing dance clubs and stuff, okay, nobody's paying attention to the band anyway. Um, they're getting into their music, but they're not watching them. Um, but if you take bands like uh, you know, the Bangles or Men at Work or, you know, any of those that were like a full band, uh, those would have been normal to see. 
But to see like a singer and a keyboard player and have the sound of a full band with nobody else out there, that was just like every time I've gone to the, I've gone to two of them. And every time I've just, it's just so, it's so weird to me to just, why would you, why would you just have a band, you know, to go out with? I mean, I get that there's an increased cost, but visually, like, it's just so much more stunning to actually see musicians perform instead of having everything in a box. Um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me for bands that are doing like, you know, uh, top 40 hits and stuff like that. Uh, very strange. I will say, uh, aside from seeing Flock of Seagulls headline both uh, of the shows that I went to, uh, another huge highlight was Berlin, um, watching and, and listening and experiencing uh, with the crowd. Take my breath away from the Top Gun soundtrack was absolutely um, breathtaking. Probably uh, for me, the highlight of the night. Uh, but we saw a lot of great bands. I, I never thought I would get to see Missing Persons or Bow Wow Wow or, you know, uh, so many great, great acts. And, you know, because I was born in 72, uh, the 80s were very important to me musically. That was, you know, part of the MTV thing back when uh, MTV was every hour the rocket would go off and they would tell you three videos they were going to play. And you're like strategizing when you're going to eat, when you're going to go to the bathroom, when you're going to go check the mail all based around what the rocket showed you at the beginning of the hour on MTV. Um, absolutely crazy. Um, and it, what's cool is I, I've discovered um, in the last year or so, there's a lot of video footage of MTV's early days on YouTube. And it's uh, really cool to see the sets again, um, the VJs again. And, um, you know, some of those songs that even though I I might listen to them in my collection, there's um, there's certainly a difference in the association. Like if I'm uh, driving and Every Breath You Take comes on my iPod, it's a nice song. I enjoy it. Great song by the police. Uh, and I'll enjoy it. But when I see them announce it, like Martha Quinn announces it, and then it goes to the blue screen because they're playing that bluish uh, tinted version of the song. Um, and it just it just takes me back to being in Michigan and watching, I think it was... Quitters Incorporated from Stephen King's trilogy Cat's Eye and uh, Drew Barrymore was in that and uh, that was before Firestarter actually and um, but it just it just takes me back to those moments and sitting there uh, you know back then uh, nowadays and maybe it's because I live out west as opposed to back east but like uh, there's not a lot of carpeted living rooms nowadays it's mostly uh, wood floor or uh, people use tile um, I love the carpet. Of course, the sound absorption thing is really big for me, but, um, it just takes me back to sitting on the floor and, uh, sitting on the carpet, having my little, you know, tray of snacks or whatever, and just watching MTV or maybe sitting on the couch and having the tray on the table. Um, it, it just brings me right back to those moments. So it's really cool to have that association made again. And, uh, God, there was some great music back then. Uh, but anyway, that's got nothing to do with John Lawton or this CD release. So uh, thank you guys for checking out the show today. If you like what you heard or you're curious to hear more, check out our show tomorrow. It will air at the same time that this one aired on all your favorite podcast outlets. You can also stream it directly from my website. And uh, if you check all the social medias, you can find me on Instagram uh, for the Haskin Cast podcast. I also have a page on Facebook for the Haskin Cast podcast. But the best place to go is probably just my website because it easily links to everything. It's www.scotthaskin.com. And uh, while many people can't find my site because they make the mistake of adding an S to the end of my last name, there isn't an S. It's just H-A-S-K-I-N. So there is a link in the show notes. Go check it out. Links to the Uriah Heap reviews I did for those two songs. 
You guys have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Cheers. Cheers.